Hi Ved, uh, how have you been? Very hi, strange bro, times hi, these. Ah, uh, good. Confined bro. It's been a long time since I've seen the world, so yeah, like lot of thoughts flowing. That's it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's the same. But does like life how, life feel huh? different at a fundamental level? Ah, uh, it does, but also primarily because you're conditioned to believe something's different, right? There is nothing tangible, at least at my end, that I can see changing. Mm-hmm. I'm still in those same four walls. I still see the same sights outside mm-hmm. the window. This is that like streets are empty. Or ah, uh, you're conditioned to believe that there's a lot of panic out there. So I don't know if I have the clarity I should be having, or the kind of fear I should be having, and what is the right amount of fear or clarity to have at this moment. Yeah, that's interesting because um, for me it's been. Uh, a fundamental mm. shift, basically, in terms of the kind of life yeah. I was living, let's say, this time last month, and the kind of life okay. I'm living right now. And the biggest change mm. is basically just staring out of my window because whenever I look out of my window here in my student dormitory, a month ago mm. it was bubbling with people. You would hear noises, people coming in. Uh, you know, some people just friends chatting. Might be the the odd mm. scream or the odd shout, but now it's absolutely mm. silent. and when i go to the groceries to buy uh, like things once a week mm. or twice a week it's just dystopian mm. like the streets are empty and there's this mm. there's this feeling that you know everything's come to an end and there is nobody around mm. and the interesting thing is how people react when they see you coming towards them right i mean it's just pedestrians ah. walking along the the paths mm. here at the dormitories and yeah. whenever mm. you see somebody coming close to you there is this feeling mm. that you know they want to maintain that distance and they want to be wary of you so that creates a very um, yeah. a very weird sensation mm. so so the other day I was pleasantly surprised when this guy mm. who was standing at one of the, at near one of those cycle stands yeah. he was standing with yeah. the football and he was juggling the football and as i was approaching him he just gently rolled the ball to me and it's such a simple gesture but for me that meant a lot at times like these you know because there's this avoidance mm. syndrome among the strangers at least what i have seen so far here mm. at sussex mm. but they want to keep themselves distant but this guy just rolled the ball to me and i just rolled it back yeah. to him and we just uh, said take care to each other and i left but it was like simple and sort of reminders of, of the kind of world we seem to have left behind for for the next few months uh-huh. i suppose so so this guy is uh, this guy like falls into the risk taker category these days yes <laughs> the people i know if you roll a ball towards them they'll first sanitize the ball then they'll throw it back at you <laughs> no one no one's going even to that level of like interface yeah. or like touch with each other hmm. so that's difficult yeah, yeah. but maybe also because you're staying on your own right so a lot of us have we've stocked up on what we had to hmm. without of course like hoarding we have a few essential services running people who are resident so like we have these two people who help us out and they have nowhere else to go so they couldn't return to their villages in time right? so we're they're living with us for the time being and things are essentially catered for you just it's a good quality time you're spending with people back at home mm-hmm. so you're trying to just see it in different light but yeah what i also do miss is the general social interaction like a lot of lot of new online innovation is made up for it but very soon i will start having cravings of going back out mm-hmm. like it is that 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 breaking point will come out very soon perhaps lesser for you cuz i am getting a sense that you can still roam around campus right yeah yeah i can and in fact uh, that yeah so that that's a luxury for us huh? yeah in a way that's also liberating because you can walk around the campus you can 
and there are these grass slopes just outside my dormitory so sometimes i just go for a walk mm. and i'm basically the only person in sight like there's nobody else at all you can okay. see for a good 100 150 yards mm. right and again that that gives a, a weird sensation and mm. i think the 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 biggest uh factor mm. about times like these is that i have often wondered what it feels like to be in the midst of history in the midst of something that is game changing in terms of the history mm. of the world and yet when it happens you feel so debilitated mm. and especially at a time like this where you i wake up one day and suddenly you know i'm bustling with thoughts and i want to go out and i want to meet people i want to interact and mm. maybe do interviews mm. and stuff like that and then it suddenly hits you that you're in a different world now so you have to adapt yourself mm. to that and that is challenging i find that very difficult what about you do you mm. feel that um, somewhere down the line your agency wow. has been taken away because of what's going on uh i do but uh, what struck me more is that like i am aware of a few stories which i am with which i have a lot of proximity to which just stop me from thinking about my own agency being taken away you know because so i can't work for hope like the back story to that is why i think like this mm-hmm. because i work in a production centric firm right and yeah. our factories are shut the labels aren't at work and so their stories are really crippling like their lives have been crippled because they live hand to mouth they are yet to be introduced to the concept of savings right mm. and i don't think I, we have no clue how they're managing over there like we're sure the government has to and will intervene and make sure they are like there lesser debts than would have been if it had been pure anarchy but they're in a very dire they're in very dire straits yeah. and for them we we suddenly realize how we we are so unprepared to tackle this for people like them mm-hmm. and yeah like a lot of agencies taken away in terms of how you how you can be connected right so like i realize we take it for granted that we can be connected and express and somewhere be involved in what's happening like you can't go out and protest against this like like we did with the ca and rc like like yes. we do for everything which especially like we're still fresh as students right and just one year into work so you just still feel that you can somehow be part of the discourse in a very tangible way and it just this is introduces you to the idea that you can't always be that way yeah so true. yeah it does but mm. yeah one 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 of the things that that i have found very disconcerting at these times is that at a time like this mm. your idea of what it means to be human also starts changing uh-huh. and what led me to think about that was something i was reading online mm. about um, this uh, uh-huh. woman in iran now iran is also among yeah. those countries where the coronavirus has mm. had a lot of yeah, yeah, impact yeah, yeah. in yeah. these stages already mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. there this woman was talking about what happened when her uncle passed away her uncle was diagnosed with the disease mm-hmm. and within a few days he passed away and he had to be yeah. he had to be buried right uh okay. now the thing is at a time like this her family members her uncle's wife she herself mm-hmm. they couldn't get near the body so they couldn't comfort the person while he was in his in his last yeah. phase yeah, yeah. by not being close to him and at the same time mm. once he had died they couldn't touch him they couldn't actually mm. hold his body and bury it so they had to be at mm. a distance so what that really struck me is grieving mm. which is one of the most essential characteristics mm. of being human even mm. that has mm. been so drastically affected by what's going on so mm. that that is something just to think about you know this sort of really hits you because when you see all these numbers that are being thrown uh by the websites yeah. by whatever i'm consuming online 
you know you get okay mm. these many cases these many people infected mm. uh this amount mm. of wait for a vaccine and all of that it becomes difficult sometimes mm. to appreciate exactly what is going on what is the true nature of of the problem mm. out there because the problem in and of itself is an invisible enemy it's like shadow boxing you don't know mm. what you're up against but when something when i read something like that it just strikes me mm-hmm. that it's affecting our human fabric redefining what it means mm-hmm. to be human that is doing that is doing it's going to so it's definitely an infection point mm-hmm. uh maybe maybe at uh, maybe it'll happen more visibly at a macro level in the sense that we suddenly begun to realize that we never we never saw globalization for the cost it bears you know it is such an attractive concept we never realized that a place like china or a place like a dprk that that isn't open enough about itself has so many harms attached to the kind of intercourse we're having with it mm. and that, that that's something we're going to fundamentally question again when like some kind of uh, stability is restored that's one of the questions we're going to begin asking so, uh, in in the sense that we have yeah go on yeah yeah so are you saying that in a sort of new mm. world order that emerges after covid-19 mm. globalization could be a threat i don't think globalization uh, can as a concept be a threat because we are a bit too dependent on it like we can't mm. decouple today but yeah there will be a significant change in the nature of globalization i'm pretty sure as uh, so you can't of course like you and i can't because we're not experts predict like what people are going to answer these questions as mm. but we know what questions they're going to ask right they got our questions in terms of uh, how okay are we with china not disclosing things that are happening inside its territory or like how okay are we with like the kind of aid structures that exist with mm. there being no umbrella body which has literally has power like a who in the powerless form it is in mm. is proving so ineffective in so many areas right how okay are we with something like that like yes and it's like the us they are in absolute panic they are in absolute chaos the us is not supposed to be in chaos yeah like you may might not want us to be a hegemon or you might indulge in a lot of anti us rhetoric but when you see something as powerful as that crippling crippling and crumbling you also tend to panic in some way because you know you're not as powerful as them and if it's happening to them it's more than likely to happen to you yes exactly so, but like, all, yeah so so don't you think that there is a possibility that in a post covid-19 mm-hmm. world we'll have a more robust mm-hmm. system that takes care of things like universal health care that creates an agency or or organization not necessarily so one thing we're sure of is that there are going to be major systemic changes mm-hmm. but i don't think it's necessarily going to be some kind of an altruistic or cooperative change maybe it it will maybe it will result in regional cooperation but china being held accountable is something which we really really do foresee the idea of normalizing screenings treating people who are not your not your immediate fraternity or not from your community with some kind of suspicion the kind of panic that will remain the, the apprehensions when you're dealing with someone from a yellow race is going to last mm-hmm. like that you could, that you just can't take away for a long time and for example tourism tourism is crushed in scandinavian countries like i don't see tourism reviving itself in italy for the next few years so there are some places where i'm sure communities are going to become more inward looking Mm-hmm. maybe there'll be aid facilities and aid structures which they will have to be, be a part of but largely the response will be in terms of them doing a lot of introspection yes but, but no, do you not think that this greater conversation and mm-hmm. a need for greater accountability mm-hmm. will create mm-hmm. a mechanism whereby 
neoliberal capitalism mm. and everything that neoliberal capitalism is stood mm. for the idea of mm. capitalist social darwinism you know the, the survival of the richest so mm. to speak that all of mm. these things will be questioned severely so again if you use let's say the united states as a case study then mm. things like politicians like bernie sanders are advocating for or have been advocating for of universal mm. health care of creating that social yeah. safety net that exists in a lot of european countries do you not think uh, that those things will get a resurgence in the post covid 19 world no i'll 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 tell you why so that is a possibility right i don't think that is it's it's too unidimensional to say that that is a necessarily extrapolatable consequence of covid what i do think is going to happen is larger state interference yeah so like whenever there's something which is say menacing your existence you know, or like your values a government will necessarily tend to become more rigid will tend to expand like into personal and social relationships will try to go in and take over as many institutions as you can because in the absence of normalcy people naturally are more open to the idea of governmental interference i i think we'll start uh, we will stop seeing this as a binary governmental interference and actual freedom we'll stop seeing it as two sides of the coin no we'll we'll start realizing that we need strong governmental interference and even if, whether it's right or wrong is a different thing but we naturally will be more open to the state interfering you will have laws which allow like which allow people to take up which allow governments to take up things which are otherwise in the private sector or seen under civilian liberty category and for for like larger goods that's what china just did no it's using foreign factories to produce masks and ventilators and surgical equipment yeah, yeah. but what you're saying isn't isn't that also kind of giving a cue as to a world that is more increasingly mm-hmm. authoritarian a world where let's no. say the so, chinese system so, huh? chinese system kind mm-hmm. of gets appropriated elsewhere as well because what you're mm-hmm. talking about the state interference mm-hmm. and doing things for ostensibly mm-hmm. utilitarian purposes mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. create a situation where you have greater concentration of powers where you have that autocratic rule and where you have less civil liberties mm-hmm. not necessarily I'll, i'll tell you why more interference by the state or more jobs for the, what i mean is more jobs for the state to do okay. it doesn't necessarily translate into very autocratic government now that that's nothing to do with covid right we as a society have already reached a stage where moving back into highly autocratic systems of governance especially in like places where you and i are right now yeah. is a very far like we're a very far cry from that like it will be a byproduct like it's an attitudinal this attitude will be a byproduct of a panic which we faced together mm-hmm. like that the fact that we've seen something in in a common way so, so that's what i was talking about russia right yeah. stuff like famines and wars and the kind like constant invasions they had was the reason they they moved towards a communist form of government or a government that that tells you that you do you have lesser agency because we need to protect all of you in the same way mm. that thing is far more likely to come about but the difference in the 21st century i'm pretty sure will be that capitalist forces are still very powerful mm-hmm. so i'm not talking of a post capitalist society i'm talking of some kind of a renewed look at how we want to balance capitalism and the role, role of the state and and with the us because of course have, yeah. yeah and and there's greater yeah. polarization in the us as well because i mean obviously in the white mm-hmm. house you have a president whose sanity is doubted by mm-hmm. number of democrats mm-hmm. and there's been that mm-hmm. great partisanship mm-hmm. but returning to the india mm-hmm. question and the sort of economic package mm-hmm. that's been rolled oh, out oh so no, so on, yeah. on 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 yeah. on that on that i actually i should write in the original answer 
the idea that he has a fractured government he has a fractured public mandate mm-hmm. is a major is a, is a is a key thing in analyzing how why the response is so muddled you know mm-hmm. because modi has a very strong mandate yes now he doesn't have a parliament that opposes him if he wants to pass an ordinance today and do something regarding healthcare he might as well go ahead and do it he has many major states under him he has allies under him and he's more or less an effective negotiator or has many effective negotiators under him yes. so they can manage to bring the political class together mm-hmm. i am also pretty sure mm-hmm. a manmohan singh government wouldn't have been able to handle this as well because you need because they, they would have just faltered at announcing a lockdown you know like look at what imran khan is doing yes he he, he doesn't have the guts to declare a lockdown yes I agree and I think uh, the messaging from Prime Minister Modi has been fairly clear in, even in his addresses to the nation mm-hmm. he hasn't been beating around the bush mm-hmm. he's gotten to the point mm-hmm. and gotten to the point faster than let's say leaders like Donald Trump mm-hmm. or like in the case of the UK mm-hmm. Boris Johnson and mm-hmm. there has been no couching uh, of words there has been no resorting to euphemistic vocabulary he has said what it is about and especially mm-hmm. I think when he said something like mm-hmm. uh, you know these 21 days if you are not vigilant enough then we could go back 21 mm-hmm. years and I think that's that's the kind of messaging mm-hmm. we need if you compare that to let's say Boris mm-hmm. Johnson saying that mm-hmm. these are times mm-hmm. when we could lose some of our loved ones I think that is sort of very euphemistic mm-hmm. framing uh, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. and you should be clear about what 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 you're trying to say that you're in a situation where mm-hmm. people will die mm-hmm. so you might as well just say that mm-hmm. the way of uh, communication mm-hmm. does come across in a time like this and we've seen that Modi okay. has done a decent job mm-hmm. so far but what I really want to mm-hmm. discuss more is uh, the economic package that's been rolled out by uh, the Indian government right so you look at okay. the measures that they have put in place and one thing that seems to be a sort of striking lacuna in that framework is that they don't mm-hmm. address the issue of daily wage workers nor do they address the mm-hmm. issue of migrant workers so according to my understanding mm-hmm. and maybe there are some things i have missed out but according yeah. to my understanding if you are a daily wage worker if you are a a, a migrant mm-hmm. worker or if you are a, a rural mm-hmm. uh, land laborer landless laborer that yeah. is you don't work on your uh-huh. own plot of land you don't own that plot of land yeah, and essentially you are in a mm-hmm. situation where you have been left in the lurch because you can't go home right now because the the means of transportation are off so essentially you see people migrating mm-hmm. in waves literally walking back to where mm-hmm. they belong mm-hmm. and the other issue is whatever mm-hmm. grants have come from the government have been uh, directed at the jandhan accounts so you've got 500 rupees mm-hmm. that will be transferred to your jandhan accounts for women yeah for women only for women only that is the the spouses yeah. of those 500 mig- rupees is for women yeah yeah so let's say if i am a migrant worker from bihar but i am i have been working mm-hmm. in let's say you're uh, in ghaziabad yeah whatever you're in delhi yeah, yeah. In, in delhi for instance and now i am mm-hmm. and delhi is in lockdown right now all the means of transportation yeah. are sealed so the only way i can go back mm-hmm. and access that money mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. for me to essentially uh, trudge back all the way on foot and hoping that you know mm-hmm. my wife somewhere in bihar will be able to access that money through the bank mm-hmm. account that she may or may not have So do you not think that in some ways there has been a gross mm-hmm. negligence towards this sector or Oh it it's very shoddy no you so this is part this is part of the larger set of people for whom the implementation of the lockdown has been very shoddy you know hmm. there are people literally stranded, stranded at railway stations because you were going to go back home tonight but like the prime minister came on tv and shut down the railway system at 12 o'clock yes. and if you had a morning train like bad luck so what they've done as a as a compensation is that they've made all the waiting rooms become like turn into some kind of boarding boarding houses and uh, people can stay there indefinitely till the lockdown is enforced mm-hmm. but india's waiting rooms more often than not are pathetic places to stay in. so if you can go back 
whichever city you are in and were going away from if you have a place to go to well and good but a large part of india's travelers suddenly a few days ago was stuck in the railway wait, railway station waiting room and that's very tough so what you were just talking about migrant labor is has just made headlines interestingly yes. there were large hordes of people just walking from the delhi ghaziabad border back to uttar pradesh they're crossing over to their homes because they had literally nothing else to do Mm-hmm. and they'd rather risk going back or rather risk catching the virus while traveling back home in such a in in such a huge group than staying on the roads and like dying of starvation for sure exactly and just just like now going into a different uh, dimension of this discussion uh, what do you think yeah. about the other kinds of leaders that we have seen so if you sort of divide the mm-hmm. world leadership into three divisions okay. let's say leaders mm-hmm. who have come out and who've taken responsible decisions mm-hmm. and i think you can put modi mm-hmm. in that group right uh, yeah. along with people let's say like like trudeau or um, some of the other countries like merkel which you would expect i mean you would Partly. expect like robust democracies like germany to anyway step up to this sort mm-hmm. of crisis but mm-hmm. the second category mm-hmm. category being you know leaders who've sort of prevaricated and who've been mixed in what kind mm-hmm. of messages they've given out johnson and uh, Trump would probably fall into that category, mm-hmm. and then if you create mm-hmm. a third one of leaders who are essentially overlooking the crisis, mm-hmm. or worse still yeah. explicitly denying its existence. So leaders, let's okay. say uh, Lukashenko of Belarus, who's come out and said that okay. look, at a time like this, we should be more active in the mm-hmm. kinds of social lives we lead, which is ludicrous. Which is why okay. the the Belarusian football league is okay. one of the mm-hmm. is is the only European league that's still going on in terms of having matches. <laughs> Oh, yeah. joke, I didn't know but, that. Okay. But that's how okay. it is. And parallels to that have been seen in countries like uh, Mexico where mm-hmm. Obrador uh, their president has come out and said that everything is normal. And mm-hmm. to a certain extent mm-hmm. we've seen that with Bolsonaro as well from Brazil. So how, mm-hmm. what do you think is the mindset behind these leaders going ahead and saying that everything is mm-hmm. normal? Is it because they feel that somehow shutting down oh, their countries would lead to a legitimacy crisis on their part or is it just pure naivety? Mm-hmm. Uh, so firstly i will not make the distinction between the first third category is fine the first two categories are a very gray area okay like trudeau of course has like less criticism you can afford him but mm-hmm. there's a lot of criticism to be afforded even to modi like we were discussing shawdy implementation and to and angela merkel you know like the way she has just uh, like broken like so, so germany broke the eu solidarity on this right which mm-hmm. has caused a big problem in terms of how we're tackling the issue as a whole if the eu had remained in unison from the beginning we could have seen a far more coordinated global response which is not happening today like countries have become inward looking so she she was one of the leaders who early on sent out a very mixed message and it, it hasn't played to anyone's benefit okay. uh secondly or very immature opinion on people like imran khan say and why they're choosing to shut down is that they don't have the mandate or just the political confidence yeah yeah i get what you're saying that you know you don't have mm-hmm. that uh, gumption to put mm-hmm. it simply to mm-hmm. go ahead and shut down the mm-hmm. economy and shut down the country but what i'm saying is with leaders yeah. like lukashenko and obrador and bolsonaro they have yeah. the political mandate uh, their ego seems okay. to be of a different kind wherein they are actively going out and denying the virus being of any threat whatsoever they can shut down the country mm-hmm. if they want and in most cases public opinion is rapidly against them in the sense that the public are aware that this is a problem but they are unwilling as leaders mm. they are unwilling to acknowledge it so why do you mm. think that is stemming from and is that some ways reflective of the fact that right wing populism has created ignorance in the highest corridors of power which 
people are now going to pay for because all of these leaders are effectively populist leaders not really so first up my like i'd have to say that it will be an uninformed response and okay. uh, and it will be just a very citizen wise citizen take on it because i i won't know enough on these governments but what i can mm-hmm. say is that it just reflects some kind of comp- reflects a kind of complacency you know where you're not taking an informed call on what's happening in other countries you're not taking uh, you're not considering all factors hmm. you're not looking at how situation will pan out because you just lack basic foresight um another thing i want to discuss is uh, and i think you sort of touched on it a little earlier when you were speaking about uh, mm-hmm. the the absence of like a global world order in terms of a medical response uh-huh. uh how uh-huh. do you deem uh, the performance of the who the world health organization in this situation and uh-huh. just before you mm-hmm. just before you respond there's something that mm-hmm. i want to also discuss is that there's been a series mm-hmm. of articles uh, i i saw on facebook um Mm-hmm. and these articles are compiled by the new york times that talk about how mm-hmm. uh, tedros adhanom I, i guess that's the pronunciation tedros yeah. adhanom whatever <laughs> the director uh, general of the who yeah, yeah uh, is somebody who is basically a chinese stooge for want of a better term mm-hmm. because uh, the new york times has done extensive research digging up how mm-hmm. china pushed mm-hmm. through his promotion and his ascension mm-hmm. to the position of of uh, being the director general how he had a very okay. shoddy record back in his home country as health minister where he's believed to have suppressed uh-huh. very important information about uh, epidemics mm-hmm. and generally mm-hmm. what his role is with respect to uh, the way the who has handled the the crisis mm-hmm. especially taking so much of time mm-hmm. to declare this a pandemic so the idea mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. comes across from these new york times articles mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. uh, this guy essentially has been mitigating the damage in terms of reputation for china and even if you see his statements in the media they have been very effusive yeah. and very celebratory of the kind of work china has done in terms of clamping down this virus mm. so do you yeah. think there is a central problem at the heart of who and they have kind of let the world down in the way they have handled the situation or does i i i mistake the name again he is accused of right before he was elected Mm-hmm. he is he is apparently known to have hid three or four cholera cases in his home home state exactly yes, right? yes. so as to yeah so as to like clear his record right before his election mm-hmm. the problem with this kind of a person at the top is that it inspires a lack of confidence you know but i'd 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 take like a slightly different perspective because i'll yeah. see the who from what the who is because I, because this is just a time when you are subject to higher scrutiny as someone at the health now whether it's a coincidence or whether it's problematic in actuality that this person is close enough to the chinese administration or that he his uh, background is such is a very different matter and I, i don't think it it really affects the response unless we can arrive at a conclusion as to how he he has to he's praising china for some ulterior motives hmm. who in itself given the lack of power it has has done a commendable job you know in terms of just coordinating efforts at a time when no one expected it to hmm. so how 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 you can judge that of course there are a lot of other factors at play if you just compare how we tackled epidemics in the past before so i think this is the biggest epidemic we faced ebola was tackled effectively enough and in time with the biggest we faced after the who came into existence like compare the response yes, to the spanish yes. flu and today mm-hmm. right so i i think that is largely a function of stuff like the of organization like the who existing mm-hmm. it's because you can transfer information we we as citizens are really banking on what the, what the who says as an authority 
fair enough i i agree with everything that you said uh, but in spite of that i yeah. think in terms of taking decisions at an earlier mm-hmm. stage in, in terms of declaring it to begin with declaring it as a pandemic before they actually did it mm-hmm. because it took mm-hmm. them what uh, about one and a half months of the virus actually raging in china to actually mm-hmm. declare it a pandemic yeah. so i think over there mm-hmm. the who left a lot to be desired and depending on mm-hmm. what i read no in, no so so yeah. so also a problem a big problem there is that china didn't allow the cdc china didn't allow the who to come in and check mm-hmm. china the one whistle blower they had like that tank man guy from tianmen they they silenced him like we don't even know where he he, he was he died through covid or by like xi jinping's orders yeah china made sure international agencies couldn't verify in time mm-hmm. right so like this is you can't completely blame, blame the who for that and also i think in terms of the way the who has been uh, sort of looking at china in how it's tackled the virus and how laudatory mm-hmm. it has been of china whereas not necessarily highlighting what countries like for example south korea mm-hmm. or singapore uh, mm-hmm. or hong kong have mm-hmm. been able to do in terms of how quickly they have flattened mm-hmm. the curve maybe that also tells mm-hmm. you something about china's soft power and its clout in influencing the who mm-hmm. the the other interesting thing about this and I mean there have been lots of discussions I've been seeing on yeah. social media saying that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just because the virus originated in China let's not call it the Wuhan virus or let's not call it the Chinese virus that's, that's China, absolutely yeah. that's absolutely yeah. fair I mean of course mm-hmm. that leads mm-hmm. to a sort of uh, situation mm-hmm. where you can create fertile grounds for mm-hmm. racism but at yeah. the same time in spite yeah. of in spite of all these sensitivities mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. not uh, mm-hmm. flaring up racist debates what is mm-hmm. also important yeah. to understand is that the virus spreading to the world in the way it has is largely mm-hmm. a failure of the the chinese authorities in terms of their structure their autocratic structure their uh, channels of mm-hmm. information not nearly being robust enough and i think i've been reading mm-hmm. stuff i'm not sure how credible they are but yeah. again there is no smoke mm-hmm. without fire in the sense that chinese authorities in the in the first mm-hmm. few months were reluctant to bring it up to xi jinping because they thought mm-hmm. that it would essentially lead to a, a crisis of legitimacy you know they were too afraid to tell okay. him that look something is wrong mm-hmm. you know it is a bit like i mean kind of throwback to what happened in chernobyl where they did not mm-hmm. want to tell the top brass yeah. of leadership that look something is wrong mm-hmm. and we we need to address it mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. as a society especially um, you know a neighboring country mm-hmm. of of china in india we need to yeah. realize mm-hmm. what these autocratic mechanisms are doing and, and the fact that what china mm-hmm. has created is essentially largely of its mm-hmm. own doing I mean yes let's uh, not debate about whether this virus originated by someone having a bat or mm-hmm. let's not talk about mm-hmm. uh, the labelings of this and and what the implications are but the fact of the matter is mm-hmm. a, a chinese system that was more transparent and more responsible mm-hmm. could have significantly ameliorated the the world situation had it just taken those steps to be to be better regarded oh. as a political system so <laughs> i think that there needs to be a, a calling out of of china yeah. on on that account as well uh-huh. so that that is expecting too much you know like china and transparency is just expecting mm-hmm. too much but as as in terms of their foreign policy and their outlook mm-hmm. they just don't trust and they just not transparent mm-hmm. so you know so like there are also conspiracies on how uh, there is lot of sulfuric acid like if that is uh, that is sulfur, uh, sulfur gas yes just spotted by satellite like radio imaging of satellites on in over a particular part of china mm-hmm. and that's only possible if you are burning a lot of corpses together Yes, yes. I've been reading conspiracy and theories to the yeah. tune of saying that so there are these there are these concentration yeah. camps, like Nazi-style concentration uh, camps, where they've essentially been keeping these dead bodies. Uh, and even I think yeah. some databases of mobile companies came mm-hmm. out, and the statistics mm-hmm. showed that some there are lots of customers that have disappeared. 
Yeah. Uh, so that is not with COVID, no, not with COVID with them. They mm-hmm. they did for Uyghur Muslims, and it was yes. seriously challenging mm-hmm. uh, Xi Jinping's authority. Mm-hmm. So what China has managed to do, and it's not really difficult to believe. Okay, it just depends literally on which side, which side of the bed you wake up on that morning. You can choose to not or not choose to believe whether China did it as as a as a biochemical weapon, right? Yeah. I think it's it's very very much possible that Hong Kong and Uyghur Muslims and the trade war and everything that they were being troubled by, they had to silence in one go, right? Including the aging population, hmm. and they just managed to like, like kill all birds with one one stone. Yes. But yeah, like on on the China thing. Mm-hmm. So they they've they, they've done a great thing, you know. They've been able to manage themselves in crisis, and so you can almost say they knew what was coming very well because they had a post-COVID strategy. Mm-hmm. So they they imported, produced, took up foreign factories, and converted them to produce for state benefit. And they had a massive supply of masks and surgical equipment, ventilators, and there's so many figures out there on how they changed production overnight. And the government was so quickly able to consolidate the industry and mobilize mm-hmm. it. And now they're giving to the rest of the world. Do you think? And that, so somehow yeah. there are mm-hmm. yeah. No, yeah, that's an interesting question. Conspiracy? No, no, no. no so conspiracy. You, you can yeah. finish the point. Yeah. Okay. You just see how suddenly there are so many important countries who are who are indebted to China, mm-hmm. including India. You know, who who have to take a leaf out of China's book. And like when we thought, yes. like a lot of people are thinking when Modi said we need to learn from other countries who have already responded to the crisis. Mm-hmm. He meant China, <laughs> and he just couldn't name China because it was China, and that would that would be very politically incorrect to say yeah. on TV in India. Yeah, yeah. But but the way they've tackled it, the idea that they are leaders in their knowledge leaders in how to tackle the crisis is helping them so much. Mm. And look at the far-reaching effects. Now, when they're back on, they are gonna have they're gonna have they're gonna have the surplus supply. They're gonna be mm. able to supply everything. They're gonna be able to supply to the immediate demands that come in. So, for example, tea, compare the tea market in India and China. Right? People who need tea need tea as soon as the crisis is over. Yeah. Like when the market like are open again, it's, it's literally a function of them being open or closed. There will be lesser demand as opposed to when it started, perhaps mm. when we started with the crisis, perhaps. But you can't supply that quickly. Those who couldn't supply these last three months can't make up supply overnight. So China is going to be the one moving in and taking over these places. And it already has like larger geopolitical reach because there are so many more countries that are going to be perhaps more willing to trade with them. Exactly, and China, yeah. Uh-huh. And in a city, in, yeah, in, in a way, what is ironic is that China is providing mm-hmm. supply for a demand they help create. So it's like mm-hmm. they have created this exactly. market where they yeah. become all the more valuable yeah. by creating a problem mm-hmm. that they themselves helped mm-hmm. magnify into mm-hmm. a global pandemic. So. I mean, mm-hmm. they're definitely coming out. Look of at Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, bro. No one's talking about Hong Kong anymore. It's gonna, it's gonna be so long. I, apparently, before someone's gonna talk about Hong Kong, mm-hmm. it's gonna be so long. Mm-hmm. People in Hong Kong are sure enough of themselves, or like confident enough about the health situation to come out and protest like they did. And like they just got everything sorted out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Do you in think, one go? Yes, and sort of a follow up to that. I mean, when the 21st century began, uh, a lot of predictions yeah. were swirling mm-hmm. that this would be the Chinese century. Do you think that COVID-19 Chinese, yeah. is the catalyst that launches us no, towards the Chinese century? Not really. Not really. A very interesting question. I was thinking of like what I was forgetting to say. This was <laughs> it. Uh, so remember, remember Suez Canal? Yes. 
right? And how it was the inflection point for when the British uh, hegemony started declining. Mm. Not that they do; it is a sole factor. Nothing can be. Yeah. But it it was literally if you have to mark an inflection point, you mark the Suez Canal crisis as the inflection point. Mm. I think this can be the inflection point for the the downward curve of a U.S. hegemony, unless okay. the U.S. really pulled some some trick out of its hat. You know. It you can't say whether it's gonna be like the start of a Chinese of, of China as a hegemon mm-hmm. because there are there are just too many factors playing out you know and it's no longer as simple as you go and invade and you have economic prowess so you can do better yeah. we're far more connected and every country is far more ambitious and rightfully so as opposed to say the 20th century or even the like the end of the beginning of the 21st century. Yes, but at the same time, uh, a potential downturn for the US would leave. a power vacuum which makes it more likely for china to come into the center stage but then again as you said there are um, other the, factors the, yeah. as well no why i think so look at this one uh, the simplest way to put it would be i think a power vacuum which the us creates will need to be filled up by a multitude of forces or international players because china is in many ways not a perfect substitute for a lot of peoples around the world for what the us does Like if the U.S. cannot coordinate effort in the West, how likely is it that China, just because it's industrially or um, in administratively superior, going to suddenly start coordinating efforts in Europe? Mm-hmm. So, so then you start talking about whether it's going to be a clear hegemon in the Orient, but that's also not true because look, Japan is not going to allow that to happen unless you literally reduce it to one tenth of the island. Mm-hmm. And India is never going to let that happen. And India mm-hmm. is no way weak enough to let China be a clear hegemon. That there's a massive trust gap China has caused within itself. It might have industrially started leading for a long time, mm-hmm. but it caused a massive trust gap. And like normal intercourse, social intercourse, or economic intercourse, is going to be very difficult with China for a lot of nations. Now, like I don't think traders back in the Hindi heartland or like the uh, Indian heartland are going to be. Able to travel to China with the frequency they did in the last six months, like it's just a red zone. It's like you know when uh, uh, Mufasa tells Simba that this <laughs> is the dark part of the kingdom which you can't go to because yes. it's where the hyenas mm-hmm. live. It's literally that. Like China is going to become that in the psyche of a lot of people around the world, and that's not going to help it. And that's exactly why it can't become a US. Fair enough. So I think as a sort of summation on China, we can say that in a post-COVID world. while their infrastructure yeah. would be boosted while they may be economically more powerful because they lack those mm-hmm. foundational values that made the united mm-hmm. states create a global hegemony will mean that mm-hmm. a chinese century is still not quite on the horizon in the way that some people might like to think fair, fair. okay great fair. it's also because i think somewhere there is an inherent bias in me thinking that mm-hmm. look how are we ignoring india <laughs> Yes. If, I think if we ask pose this question to like people around the world, they'll respond a lot based on their very localized settings. Mm-hmm. Because you know it, it's a power question, and like in the absence of me being an expert or an IR person, you you have to have some inherent biases in what you want out of your own country and your like yeah. what your foreign mm-hmm. policy outlook is for your own country while you're answering this. Mm-hmm. So I just think like China as a hegemon is a very difficult concept for India to Indian to buy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's. Uh-huh. Um, Let's talk about the other aspect of you know a post COVID nineteen world in terms of culture, in terms yeah. of what it means for the common uh, man for regular everyday activities. Like for instance, mm. if I think of Britain, of where I am here at Sussex, mm. and you know mm. just about mm. 
uh, a 20 minute walk mm. from my room is uh, the football stadium in the premier league belonging mm. to brighton and hove albion football club so one of the first images oh. that that comes to my mind in a post covid 19 world when let's say football resumes or sport resumes is is mm. the fact that people will come out in their hordes and they will gather in their masses and it will be a sort of celebration mm. of humanity again uh, a kind of new dawn so to speak and how do you see people's mindsets evolving of course i mean what i just said is something that's not going to happen overnight even if for example the government miraculously tells tomorrow that you know the virus has disappeared and the lockdown is over it's not that people will come out immediately they will take their time they'll be skeptical of course but it will come to a point where people will start celebrating what it means to have that human touch once again so so what are your feelings i mean how do you look at maybe let's say some sometime towards uh August or September, which I hope will be time enough for the virus to have receded. How do you mm. look at a time like that and think what mm. it would mean to step out again out of your house? Oh, uh, sort of multiple responses. No? I think uh, the first thing which should be addressed there is that there will be no unified response again. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think there is a specific time period within which like different parts of the world or parts of a particular country would declare themselves to be safe or panic-free now. And I think it's a very community-specific and geography-specific and culture-specific way in which you respond to like a panic situation. You know, How careful you are, how uh, conservative you're going to be about venturing out. Of course, like, you go back to work and to, and to schools and offices. But how careful you're going to be before you are sure that life is back to normal and how much time you take to adjust is is very different from how and how an inflation deflation works you know yeah. where an immediate injection the immediate interest rate change is supposed to cause like a psyche change in the taxpayer because i think everyone very quickly will even if say in october august october we are free of covid for the time being Mm-hmm. The idea of the Spanish flu and how it peaked the year after it actually started is going to be alive in public memory. And even if it doesn't peak in the next year, in the next 15-20 months, we're all going to be very wary as a planet. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a big problem because of the scale in which it has hit us. But uh, yeah, in a very at a very individual level, I think one change is going to happen is an attitudinal change in the way people work. Right. Because, for example, the just-in-time supply which people were doing, mm-hmm. you know, where like most most companies, like a lot of industries, they just keep enough supply or enough quantities or just meet demand enough to tide them over the next week or say like the short run. Mm-hmm. They're going to start hoarding. Resources are going to be like fought for, distributed in a very different way. Like healthcare is going to boom. You know, so the public discourse is going to change. What people clamor about is going to change. One thing we're sure about is that people can't afford to or won't naturally have a tendency to remain as distant from the political mainstream as they are. Especially in places like India, there are, there are a lot of people. There are, like, there are so many who you, who you hear about, who you know, who don't care as much about politics as you or I or mm. someone we know would. Mm. That's not going to happen. Because suddenly there's something happened where you and the state have been in direct con- connect and it's changed your life. Or at least it's an it's been a memorable time period, even if you haven't been directly affected. Yes. So, and so what you're saying is essentially that people will be sort of jolted out of their apathy, the apathy that they had towards politics, especially over the last few years with the more disillusioning environment developing in the West as well. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, that's that's it's a not 
no, no. So I, I think, I think, of course, that 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 is one of the one of the uh, benefits. But if you have to like say, we have to put two prongs to it, right? One is what you just mentioned. A uh, second is it's going to crush these fringe elements and these people who are who have till now been able to hijack the political talk and like take the discourse to pettier directions or like for their own purposes. You know, that's that's going to be so much more difficult to do. Because I am not going to tune in to something that discusses why this party and that party didn't do well in the 1960s or the 2005 and like petty political rhetoric yeah. or like nationalism rhetoric at mm-hmm. a time when there is a, a very systemic problem in our administration. So I think the, the final thing that I would like to discuss is probably more mm-hmm. of a personal thing at a personal level. Yeah. So mm-hmm. effectively, the the only thing that is certain right now is that the virus will be beaten at some point in the future. We don't know when. Mm. Perhaps in some cases, okay. we don't know how either. But it will mm. be beaten. Maybe, let's say, September, October, whenever it takes mm. uh, for us to mm. sort of venture out again. So, what are you most looking forward to in a world without a lockdown? Is there uh, something that you have taken stock of which you want to sort of uh, do when when mm. you come back to normality again? Mm. Mm. Uh, I want to be able to know that I'm more ready for something like this in the future. Okay. Right? I mean this at an individual and at a societal level. I'll tell you why. Uh, let's begin at the individual level. Right? So yeah. it was very difficult because so, so life was very uh, eventful and hectic right before you settled into the lockdown. Right? Mm-hmm. And of course, you can adjust to it in multiple ways. One of the things I had to do is change what I was reading. You know, so I, I just tried it. It seemed like a, like very ludicrous to begin with, but uh, I started reading books from times where there was less technology. Okay. So I'm reading Thomas and Mom, and I'm and I'm and I've gone back to like uh, I took up a book by K M Munshi called Tapaswini, right? And like things where the settings are slower, where like there are more thoughts, where uh, there's more of a voice speaking through the pages. And stop reading like more of articles and you know, short form journalism and everything which I was reading currently. And I think a lot of perspective comes in when you're forced to do something like this. Of course, it's 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 a luxury to say this. You know, like people are dying, and that's why we have a lockdown. Exactly. But yes. for someone for to whom it hasn't affected, thankfully yet, uh, I want to be able to use the perspective or the clarity or the many many opinions that leaves me with. Right. On a societal level, I want the same thing to happen. I want the perspective we've gained to last. I don't want to dissipate. I don't want us to go back to talking about uh, why it's why it's a problem that we don't have Kashmir uh, control over X Y Z part of Kashmir. These are problems, right? These are like mm-hmm. undeniably problems and undeniably uh, elephants in the room in the international, like in diplomacy. Mm-hmm. But the real politic A needs to change. B the talk we do needs to change. No, and that's something absolutely. that should happen. Like, yes. Don't let go of the perspective this is brought you. Yes, yes, yes. And I think it's very important as well for people of our generation, uh, let's say uh, yeah. the ones in our 20s or even those in their early 30s, mm-hmm. because we've been used to a life that's about this hustle culture that you have to constantly keep moving and too much is never enough. Uh-huh. And all of these things, like even if you look at the way advertising has been done to, to attract people of our age, in the way wow. um, yeah. our lives work mm-hmm. from our academics who mm-hmm. are in academics mm-hmm. to those who are in jobs it's it's a it's it's a life of constant movement where you don't get time to reflect you don't get time to mm-hmm. introspect 
because always there is information that is badgering us whether it's on instagram whether it's on our emails whatever it is so i think that way what you mentioned about life slowing down and giving us perspective is really important because now you've got time to analyze things that you've done like i've been doing that i've been looking at some of let's say the major decisions i've made in my life and sort of trying to analyze them and second guessing myself and i think that is important that gives you that perspective but equally important is to yeah, I, I, i read your article i read your article on how you're tackling the lockdown <laughs> so yeah. we know like yes and what what you are saying is, is so i got that idea from from uh, sorokin i forget his name i think it's petrin uh, sorokin right Mm-hmm. he writes like he's written a book i just chanced across the book you know while i was like sitting reconstruction in humanity of of humanity okay he talks about how advertising and political rhetoric and all those who when the going is good are opinion leaders have such a huge test awaiting them when stuff like an like an epidemic or a famine or a drought or a war or invasion strikes mm. and that is when society ends up with two opinion leaders and that's going to last for some time Yes. So, for like, like we spoke about, like Modi and his mandate, and mm. Uh, mm. Trump, and why he doesn't have a mandate, and uh, Russia and China, and how the Communist Party came. I think times of reckoning, or times when you're facing a test as a society, will leave you with just really who who really can be an opinion leader. Mm-hmm. And you know, petty advertising and stuff that used to move us so easily and appeal to our basest elements and our basest like drive is going to go away. I think a post covid-19 world for those of us who are lucky mm. enough to actually make it into that world yeah will be a world uh, where we start sympathizing more with people because of the fact that yeah. the human okay. connect that we had established for millennia mm. as a species mm. I think has was lost to a great extent well not a great extent but to a certain extent over the last 10 mm. 15 years with the rise in social media with the change in which people mm. were communicating mm. with one another and you know like mm. um i mean even looking at myself or my friends we never used to get uh, excited about meeting each other anymore because you know you can just call people on video or you ah. can just text them on whatsapp mm. but that revival will happen mm. that revival of just meeting mm. somebody speaking mm. at them and looking at their eyes while you're speaking having body language oh. as a as a means of communication rather than just emojis on whatsapp so all of those things i think will get revived so in a way it's it's a return to mm. what we used to do and perhaps what we should have retained and we couldn't because our mm. social fabric got changed and hopefully those things will return right. once we make our way into the post covid-19 yeah. world whenever you know, I just whenever realized, yeah this is the way we like this is the first question you asked me and i should have responded by saying i'm going to love meeting my friends again <laughs> i just made myself sound very uh, <laughs> wonderfully like happily isolated which i should have because yes. i can get a lot of backlash for that <laughs> what fair like that for that that for me too yes absolutely all right i think on that note we'll uh, we'll end this call and hopefully we'll yep. have other discussions in the future that keep us entertained in this time of crisis hi guys thank you for listening to the first episode of that's what we said the idea for this podcast series uh, really came out of the blue ved and i were on call one day and uh, we suddenly thought why not share what we are discussing with others because we feel a lot of you have been thinking about similar things and have opinions on these matters as well ved and i will be doing more episodes of that's what we said and we'd love to listen to your feedback and suggestions so please put them in the comment section take care and don't forget to like share and subscribe <laughs>